inspiration, enlightenment, and insight on how to get what you want and how to keep it. We could have been anything that we wanted to be. And it's not too late to change it. We'd be delighted to give it some thought. Maybe you'll agree that we really ought to. And now, here are your hosts. Paul Williams and Tracy Jackson. Good morning, Paul Williams. Good morning. I'm hungry. You're hungry already? I'm hungry. I need what do you want? Food. I want... Give me your perfect meal right now. What would you well, have? Well, you know, I'm a big calamari and, and fish taco guy. So, but right now, what I would really... What, let me think what I would really love. I'd love a great veggie burger. I mean, with, you know, with onion and tomato and lettuce and with... Uh, with uh, with Thousand Island dressing on it. Oh, I love. See, if we had a if we had a sponsor like that, then we could cut to the sponsor, and it would be cut like, to the you know, sponsor and, like that. But we one. know, but we have so few sponsors. You know, it's like we have people that love us, but very few people that want to pay us. So, so, <laughs> and that's the way it and goes that's the way in the it, podcast that's world. That's the truth of the matter in the podcast world, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so you would have a veggie burger? I would have a veggie burger and some sweet potato fries. Oh, you're such a healthy guy. You know, well, I, you know, How that's why I now? run you know, I, every day so I, I can, know I can eat a little like that. And now they fully, I've always, they've, I've always thought that bacon caused cancer. You know, that was the big thing this week. Bacon causes cancer, right? And I've always, I mean, for years, nitrites, they say, have caused cancer. Did they cancer. find out it actually does? Yeah, but wow. they've always said it has. I mean, I've always sort of known that. And then you just kind of sneak the ham in or a piece of bacon hoping... Bacon's actually, I don't eat pork, but I eat bacon, which is a very strange well, then deal eating, I've made with. Well, p- bacon is pork. I know that. That's why it just is a very strange deal I made with the food world. But I don't eat very much of it. And now I've stopped. Like last night when I ordered my salad, if you notice, I did not You had bacon. a cookie th- this very morning with bacon in it. But I didn't know that, and I didn't eat very much of it. And how much bacon can really be in a cookie? Honestly, well, it's not like sitting down. If there's a really good alcoholic baker working on it, he can, you know, he can have have one so full of bacon that a good vet could get him back to life. You know, come no, on. I will say what I will miss is the BLT. Yeah, the BLT, and oh, with, with phony bacon, it doesn't really make it. I, you know, I buy phony bacon, bacon for the family and have for years, and it sits uneaten because they know it's phony bacon. And there's something about phony bacon that's like, no, no, you just don't want phony bacon. Bacon needs to be bacon. You know, I think the reason, the subconscious reason we're talking about food like this and all is, is because of comfort food, which is because of, of the South. And I think even though she was raised in Ventura and as a New Yorker, there's, there's, it's impossible to not think about Roseanne Cash and think of, of country music in the South and Americana. And... I'm so not on the same page with you on that. Like, I don't think of Roseanne Cash and think of biscuits or something. Oh, you don't? No. I don't know why I do. I think because you just started this thing like you were hungry because we started talking and I said, good morning, Paul Williams. Well, you I know, I'm I met hungry. her, you know, I, I, I t- tell, you know, I, I met her dad a couple times and all and, and it's just there's a. Did you eat biscuits there, with him? No, we didn't have biscuits together. You know, he, you know, I. Do but, you like biscuits? And gravy, yeah. You do? And I don't eat meat, but I will actually put up with a little pork gravy because it tastes so good. And I try. So to... like when you get in Nashville, I've been to Nashville with you. I haven't seen you eat biscuits and gravy. Once in a while, I'll have, for breakfast, I'll have some biscuits. I like the white gravy. I like... I've never actually understood the whole biscuit gravy thing. No, you're just, you know, you're, I'm too you're turned into such a New Yorker. No, you're I'm just, a California so girl. Out of touch with I the, understand with the avocado on my hamburger. Of, of biscuits and gravy. No, because you see, something about, they say, coming from California, like if you come from other places, you don't understand like vegetation on your burger. Yeah. You know, you just want a burger and cheese or just a burger. But yeah. when you come from California, 
You want avocado, avocado. and sprouts and lettuce and mushrooms and you maybe now a little hemp. I don't know, but. Anyway, so we, we 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 digress. We're talking about our stomachs, which is is probably not that interesting. No. I would also like maybe have a burger after this, but I might go for a turkey burger. So maybe when we stop this podcast today, we'll go eat. But but we're having somebody on the podcast today that is that has been not only a great songwriter and a great artist and and all you know, but has been a real advocate for songwriter and music creators' rights. And you know that's important to me. That's so important to me. I know that is. You know, so That's, this is this is. She uh, also this, she's 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 an extraordinary character. She comes from an I. Uh, she comes from song, music, country music royalty. Legendary. She's well. No, we can you can go beyond that. But she's she she's the she is the, the offspring of, of of Johnny Cash. Yeah. And she's. Gone I on. shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. I mean, does it get any better than that? But she's gone on, and she's a four-time Grammy winner on her own. Yeah. She has had endless hits. She's had. She's got four. Four more than you, Mister. I've got three. Yeah. Well, she's got more. Nothing good ever happens to me. Nothing good happens to me. She's got more. <laughs> she's a mom. She's a. She. She's. She's a. She's an advocate for many things. She's. A, yeah. She's a terrific person. And today we get to spend a little time talking to Roseanne, Roseanne Cash. Cash. Well, about a year ago, I went and and, and testified before the judiciary and, and the and the uh, the Congress uh, to about IP and streaming and all, and I had the good good fortune of sitting about two t- two uh, chairs down from Roseanne Cash. That's right. You were great. You were super. I mean, you you know, just it was it was wonderful to hear you. Step up to the plate and really go to work for music creators' rights. I was terrified. You were calm as a cucumber. Well, I couldn't hear. Do you remember that? Oh, I do remember something about that. It was so weird. I had my hearing aids in, and and we were. It was a great big room with a lot of echo, and I could. And I actually had to get the guy sitting on my left was from Pandora. Right. You know the other side, the opposition in in this sense. And I said, I we're going to show them we can work together. I got him to tell me what. What, what was being said because I couldn't make it out, you know. So, You're a natural diplomat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Or he pretends he can't hear. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and in fact, his most politicians, if, I don't know if they can't hear, it, just don't listen well. But, but, uh, I thought they listened to us that day. I they thought sure it was did. really, they seemed to be naturally inclined to be on artists' side. Yeah. But they didn't understand how complex the issues were. I mean, we can't totally understand it. It's so complex, so many moving parts. But they were engaged. I was surprised. Yeah. Most of them were on our sides. And the guy from the NAB was very nervous. Yeah. Well, Can you yeah. guys explain to people what it actually is? Because I think as well as you understand it from your point of view and what you can say. Because I don't think most people do understand it. And it's such a huge thing. And everyone is listening to their music now through streaming services for the most part and the same thing's happening in television and people aren't getting their you know the, the whole financial shift and the way people made money from royalties and and payments and all sorts is completely being altered for all artists writers authors tv yeah, and movie everybody. creators and probably you guys even the most because mm-hmm, more people listen right. to music in the mo- at a faster rate and more things a day how does it work I can say a couple things, and then Paul can actually go in more depth, I think, than I can. But uh, in, as you say, in the digital economy, it's really different. And our, all artists across the board and writers are finding it hard to be paid. 
Um, but there are a couple of glitches in copyright law that are particular to musicians and songwriters that are actually shameful. Yep. And one of them is that no recording prior, recorded prior to 1972 gets royalties at all. Nothing. In the digital domain. So, and no uh, recording, the artists do not receive performance royalties for terrestrial radio either. So this is, the classic example is that for the millions of times you heard Aretha Franklin sing Respect, she oh, made yes, not a penny from okay. performance royalties in either digital or terrestrial. So those laws need to be fixed. It's just not fair to not pay them. Songwriters do get paid, um, but it's artists a, also deserve to be paid. So absolutely. that's one thing. Well, the fact is, and globally they do. The rest internationally oh, they right. do. That's so that, you know, we're totally point. out of balance with the rest of the world. First thing people need to realize is that there. So are this two is wait. Let me just. I mean, I just want to clarify it so people understand. So if someone listens to a song on Spotify or Pandora or a streaming service, let's just even say one of your dad's songs, okay? Because you weren't performing no. in '72, right? So I wasn't. But your dad was. He doesn't. The, There's the, the, the famous Johnny Cash. Yeah. For those f- of you who don't know who Roseanne's dad was, does he? That money doesn't go into the estate or his royalty thing from no. those? No. No. Really? From Nobody. Nobody. Insane. Which was and that's not that uh, long ago. And you too, though. You had a lot of hits before seventy-two. I had some hits. I had a few hits before seventy-two. Here's the deal. Let me let me ba- let me back up to a couple simple facts. There are two copyrights involved when a song is played. In, in any anywhere, there's a, when a song is written, there's a copyright for the song. When the song is recorded, there's a copyright for the you know the sound recording and all. And around the world, the those two uh, copyrights manage to gather about the same. There's parity, about the same amount of money. It's pretty close to a fifty-fifty split. And and artists are in fact paid on for radio performances, which they should be, absolutely. In in the United States, in the digital platform, there's about four cents going to the to the 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 copyright for the song, and about forty seven cents or so. I may be off a little bit and all, but for for the other copyright, so we're totally out of balance with the rest of the world as far as what is what we're being paid. That means that for seventy two million performances or streams of a song on on uh, a Pandora, a song like Need You Now, seventy two million streams. The writers got the two writers got less than fifteen hundred dollars a piece around in that area. You can't raise kids on that. You can't put gas in the car on that. You know, there's kids out there right now trying to do what Roseanne and I have done with our lives and you know made a good living writing songs and singing, and working hard, but but getting paid for it, and they're not being paid. So the re, the 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 at the headwaters of all this is an agreement with the Justice Department called the Consent Decree. And that's why I'm in D.C. a bunch, and that's what we're, what we're, you know, what we were testifying before the judiciary about. Let's change that consent decree. Consent decree was created in 1941. I was created in 1940. Almost all of my parts work really well. The consent decree's parts don't work nearly as well as mine do. Well, and one, uh, the re- main reason I was there too. There were a lot of issues, like I said, a lot of moving parts. But this act that's recently been introduced in Congress called Fair Play, Fair Pay. And it's about getting uh, royalties for, well, beyond, it's just beyond the pre-72 law to get performance royalties for um, recordings made in pre-72. And you did say that artists get paid, but we should clarify that that's only post-72 digital. Post-72, yeah, digital, yeah, Yeah, exactly. not terrestrial. You know, so there's stuff, and as I say, uh, to me there's a lot of U.S. trade issues because, you know, we have friends across the, the pond are going, wait a minute. We get paid, you know. At, right, they get paid. There are only a few countries who don't pay. Iran, yeah, 
North Korea. And the United Big States. Surprise. United States. Wow. Yeah. That's bad company to be in. There's, there's, there's also Alden Rochelle, which is, is, you know, in the in Europe, if you have a song in a movie and, and it's performed in a theater, you get paid for that. You don't in the United States. No. So it's an interesting, ongoing challenge and everything. In the midst of all this, people write great songs like Roseanne does and wind up in the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame this year. Thank you. Yes, I three, three Grammys in 2015. That's right. Oh, my God. I Isn't know. that cool? Talk about gratitude. I mean, at this point in my career, in my life, you don't know. You do the best work you can. Yeah. You don't know if it's going to get above the digital noise. Yeah. And then for it to get above that and get acknowledged yeah. as what I think the best work of my career, it was so, I'm so grateful for that. I feel so lucky. Were your kids there? My son was there, but my daughters were watching. My son, actually, my husband had just had spinal surgery, and he couldn't go. He got a Grammy, two Grammys, yeah, too. Yeah, how's John doing? He's doing good. But my son was there in his place, and when I walked off stage after the third Grammy, I had 92 texts from my daughters. <laughs> oh, my God. It just felt so good. Now, isn't that interesting that we were talking yesterday, last night, about how about texts and how all of a sudden that becomes the, the, the that's the intimate, the most intimate conversations we have with our kids a lot of times. All through text. text. All through yeah, text. And yeah. Don't call them back or you'll get in trouble at all. Do not leave a voicemail for God sake they they will not listen no what's really amazing is when you're texting them and then you know they're on their phone because you are texting them and they are texting back and then you call them in that they, moment they don't answer their no, phone they don't answer. and it's fascinating you go, excuse me i know you're holding it i know it's there i know it's in front of you but you broke the text rule mom the, the text <laughs> rule is if i text you but you text me back you don't call me no i my husband is is who you both know is a very behind in the digital age and he's still on his blackberry which he finally gave in this week and got an iPhone and I said which we're teaching him to use and I said this morning I said guess what you can now talk to your daughters more because they will actually communicate with you if you learn how to text because <laughs> they don't email to them it's, it's all of a sudden like a carrier pigeon yeah, it's yeah. so antiquated and I email like why would you send an email like well, I don't know if that's what you that's do that's what my daughter said to me too mom don't send emails I'm not going to read it isn't it how did when did those become passe I don't know did you and John write Till Heaven? We did. Yeah. That's a really touching lyric. Thank you. I wrote the lyrics, he wrote the music. Oh, that's, that's, that's yeah, that's powerful. You know why I wrote that? We, we were, the record, The River and the Thread, that's my, the yeah. record that you're yeah. talking about. It is a, really a journey through the South, a geographical journey, a spiritual journey, an emotional, literary, ancestral journey. We touched on a lot of points. So we got to the end of making the album, and he said, you know, you can't make a record about the South without having a gospel tune, you know, gospel music, Southern yeah. gospel music being this feeder for so much roots music. Yeah. So, but neither one of us is traditionally religious. So we wrote what we thought was a gospel song that even agnostics might love. <laughs> And I was thinking, well, what is it that connects us that we, those with religion, those without religion, what, what do we all have that's in common? And I thought, it's longing. Yeah. We all long for something. And that's really what that song's about. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Thank it's, you. Yeah. 
Well, I th- you know the the interesting thing also about the time that all this happening is it, I don't know if it was if it was all oh brother where art thou that that was that opened this floodgate Maybe. of attention to but Americana has just gotten yeah. such such respect and such a huge growing audience yeah. it's just got it got its own category at the Grammys it's, yeah it's enormous now yeah radio stations identify as Americana it's a great community. For those of us who do roots music but who aren't country, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Who are real, still really identified with acoustic, blues, roots music. It's a great place. The only thing I ever wrote that came close into that was uh, I did an, a thing with the with the Muppets called Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And <laughs> uh, I wrote a song in there called Barbecue, Barbecue, List My Spirit, I Swear That It Never Fails. And the sauce mama makes will stay there forever if you ever dare to get it under your nails. No, there's a song in there called... <laughs> Sounds like something for Ishtar. <laughs> I know. Then I uh, uh, wrote a song called When the River Meets the Sea. And I always... It, it's mm. it's one of my, my all-time favorite. They play, actually played it at Jim Hanson's funeral, and I oh, wow. told Mariana I want to play it at mine. It's it's one of my favorite songs. And mm-hmm. after the fact, I, I realized that it, it's kind of that genre, you know, that it it, it fits sure. that gospel Americana place and all. Mm-hmm. When did you start writing, Roseanne? When what was songs? It? Yeah, it was the beginning 18. of your at eighteen. Yeah, late teens. Yeah. Now, was this an influence of the way because of your parents, or you just you felt that you wanted to do that? It was I, in you genetically. What do you think? It was in me. I always wanted to be a writer, always, and I started writing poetry when I was, you know, eight, nine years old. Um, I never wanted to be a performer, so that I kind of backed into after I wrote songs and I made a record, and I realized I'm going to be a performer. It's not to say I became one by default, but it wasn't my first impulse it wasn't my identity in the beginning and now it is part of my identity I think a lot of us you know when watch our kids and and maybe ourselves want to go racing away from what our parents are doing true and so if you're going to make music it sure as hell wasn't going to be like like dad sure you know why i had a great performer in my family why would i want to be a performer <laughs> but yeah. then you realize you know you start carving out your own thing and realize well this is part of me too yeah. just like doctors generations of doctors or lawyers well, or your first carpenters. time on stage was probably was was on was tour with, with your dad yeah. yeah of course was a kid wow how old God. were you uh Do you remember teens it? yeah i remember how terrified i was <laughs> yeah did you sing on stage with him then yeah why'd you sing uh, I think we girls, a couple of us came out at the end and we did like, will the circle be unbroken and those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, it was sweet. He had a family show at that point. Yeah. 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 I like, and then I wrote this piece, uh, called The Ties That Bind. It ended up being in a compilation called Best Music Writing in 2000. It was about family as subject matter and families together per, as performers together. Yeah. And how those ties through roots music were always so important. There was so much about family um, in Appalachian music and in the blues and dead mothers, you know, (laughs) leaving your mom and... Saying goodbye. Yeah, but saying goodbye. A lot of songs about saying goodbye and travel and... 
that, you know, that pop music, at some point, a lot of it reduced to just being about hookups and breakups, but there was a lot more subject matter yeah. in early music. Don't you think a lot of our, so much where I, you know, I, I look at some of the songs that I wrote, my earliest, earliest songs, like Someday Man, and if I look at it now, I go, oh my God, there's such an obvious connection to your unconscious there, you know? Mm. I was, I looked like a little boy until I was in my mid-20s, and I write a song called Someday Man, and there was, to, at the time, there was no conscious connection at all to the fact, you know, that this is my inner angst that's making its way into a song. Isn't that something? I play, sometimes I play, well, all the time, I play songs I wrote when I was 23 years old and i think how did she know that uh, yeah that little girl yes it's crazy it's like time travel well the other thing is i find i, I, I wrote a song like in my 20s it was like time you're leaving me behind i feel Ooh. you moving on as you mean it's like this <laughs> it's something i should have written you know like in, in my deathbed at night you know? <laughs> and it's like what were you thinking where where's that coming from is it past life stuff is it is it is it sort of just this inner in this inbred kind of fear of of the end of this whole deal or what you know yeah, I don't know well I think that creative work happens outside linear time and I, I you know I've read many many writers and artists who have felt the same thing that you're like Thornton Wilder said time isn't a river it's a landscape you step in and out wow oh I love that isn't that good. Yeah, yeah. Well, a feather's not a bird. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no, I think we, do, I think we, anyone who does write, and then you go back. We were talking about this actually last night when we were speaking, Polly. Uh, we were speaking at a group of parents in New Jersey. And I think back at my early, I'm not a songwriter, as everyone knows, but I look back at my early plays that then went into my early films and my early TV work. It was all about the same issues, angst, Things that I go through now with my kids, things I went through. I, I somehow had glommed onto something in my teens that was just gnawing, as you say, at the wires to come out. And it is interesting. You look back and you go, how did a kid understand that? I, I, mean, I wrote things then that I should be writing now that I'd like to go back and actually rewrite because I've experienced them. But it's really interesting to see that you can channel that. And I do think it comes from, it, it comes from other places. Yeah. There's no question. No question. Because you have no way of ex knowing, because you haven't experienced it. I mean, I remember about writing about a couple getting a divorce before I'd ever gotten a divorce. Now, was that, was there's something I in my head about my parents' divorce, but I didn't know what the mechanics were emotionally as someone that young. So I think that we do that. Well, yeah. there's a creative source we can tap into if we just open up and have our catcher's mitt on. That's a good, that's a good I, metaphor. I love yeah. the catcher's mitt. I love mitt. the catcher's mitt. Just and and, and then listen. I don't you think? I mean, do you meditate? Do you have a practice? Do you meditate? How do you how do you get in touch with the uh, creative? How do you I, shut off the noise and get in touch with the creative, Roseanne? Well. Because you're busy, you've got children, you have a husband, you tour, right. you really have a big life. But as Leonard Cohen says, I'm fully employed as a songwriter. So oh. I don't believe that you only show up for work when you feel inspired. Mm -hmm. I think that's a little amateurish. Is so that, is you got to show up for work. No, I don't believe in that either. But, but where do you? Oh, do, where well, do you go? Like, you like know, I get my best ideas in the shower. I mean, I mean, every morning I get a lot of ideas in the yeah, shower too. That's every, funny. Every, I do too. Yeah. I mean, this morning I was having a problem in something I was working on and working on now, and I'm in the shower, not thinking at all, and all of a sudden it just comes from the fall. It. I don't know. It's something Pours about the water, head. isn't it? The shower in the bathtub, I get my best. I, I end up jumping out and going and writing it down. I think I, someone needs to invent a pen and paper that you can hang in the shower that's like waterproof. It probably and you can is write. invented. It's yeah, probably Otherwise, somewhere. we should all do it this afternoon and get the patent. Yeah. Yeah. So you too, shower for you too. Yeah, a lot of times. I mean, I don't meditate at length a couple minutes a day just to like 
center myself and then I go on. But emptying the ashtrays. Yeah, <laughs> emptying the ashtrays exactly. Writing itself is gets me in that space. You know, just yeah. doing the work. And I have a sewing circle that is the most meditative thing in the world. Tell us about that. I sew with five other women, and we meet as often as we can. What do you sew? We each have, uh, well, each has our own project, but some of us are sewing these kits from this mutual friend, Natalie Channon, who has this company called Alabama Channon, and it's all hand-stitched, beautiful, patterned garments. And we just... It's not really about the sewing. It's about sitting with five women and talking. And also when your hands are engaged, you know, your mind frees up. And yeah. It's just so beautiful. It's one of the most nurturing things in my life. If I have a mental block It's southern in New York to have that. Man, yeah. Well, and, there are, and we're all New Yorkers, too. All of us. How interesting is I know, that? I know. That's such a southern thing. It, I just said that. No, I just said I mean, that. Yeah, I couldn't hear. I, you know, I know you I'm couldn't Mr. hear. No, that's but I, I just said that. Such a southern. We were in Houston last week, uh, speaking to, at something, and in our hotel were a hundred thousand quilters, or there were a hundred and twenty thousand quilters had descended on Houston. Our hotel, I only had a hundred thousand, but they were in the convention center attached to our, and. The, the passion these women had for quilting, and they came from all over the world. This was the biggest convention in true Texas fashion, of course, right? I probably had of a friend who was there. Um, of quilters. And it was in, in the elevator talking to them, it was just wonderful. It was just wonderful. And they you, all had groups, and they were just passionate. This was their life. Well, that, there's a resurgence in handmade, as I'm sure you know, of things that are handmade. And also in... Uh, like our friend Natalie, she has this company. It's all women. They all hand stitch. They send out these couture, they're couture level garments because they're all hand sewn and beaded. Beautiful. It's all I wear on stage, by the way. And her, she is like a goddess with a mission about handmade and women doing things with their hands. Wow. And it's true. It's very empowering. It's meditative. It's you connect. It's just a beautiful thing. Did your mother sew? She uh, crocheted. So and my sister knits and crochets and I think most of the women in our family do something like that. Well, you talked about it. There's something that there's something that happens when your hands get That's busy. Right. If you got if you wash in the car, I'll get it. You know, in the days when I would wash my car by myself. That's when the ideas would roll. And to this very day, if I roll over and, and start washing, cleaning up dishes in the kitchen, it's a great place. Yeah, if I get a mental block, doing doing something with my hands is always me too. Exactly. The other thing that is that is that that is I'm loving is that I, something I've done for years. And there's a guy named Richard Bellis who's on the ASCAP board. It's a wonderful composer, and he really identified it. But I was talking about the fact that I will sit down and I I've, I've looked at an idea of something I need to work on. And it's getting late, it's getting late, it's getting late, and I finally sit down and do it, and I just get out of the way, and it pours out of me. He said, you know, we've been using the wrong word for years. We talk about procrastination, but it's not procrastination. It's part of the recovery. It's part of the process of creativity. That when I look at something that I need to do and I don't think about it, it's the, the little gremlins up there are working on it without my knowing. Oh, I find that too. It's germinating. It's germinating, yeah. exactly. You know. Well, I think when you go back to that Leonard Cohen quote, I think when you do when you when you are working on a project or a song or a, any, a book or a film or anything, and you walk around and it kind of lives inside of you all the time. And then when you just stop, and I find when I stop, I mean, if I put in enough hours at the desk actually thinking about it properly and then release it and then go to the gym or something, 
some big problem solved when I'm in plank or lifting weights or doing something totally different. But I have planted the seed that something has to be. I've asked the question. I think right. that there's. I think that you know. Oftentimes we have to ask the question and maybe not try and answer it ourselves. You know, Stephen Pressfield. I don't know if you know him. Uh, is a writer. He wrote the Legend of Bagger Vance, and he's. Oh yeah. He wrote sure. this beautiful book called The War of Art, and it talks about that, about that germination, and, you know, process when you t- when you step away, what happens, and then you come back to it. And it talks. He talks about showing the muse you're serious. Mm. Oh, oh do I love that! And I think about that all oh, the time. Oh God, Riz, and that's like Isn't that's that for great? the that's for the journal. That's to write, but it's true because a lot of times, and and I've done, found this when I've taught writing to people, they think, oh well, when the inspiration comes, the inspiration will come. Yes and no. I always say because you can't not you, you can't not put in the work. That's you know right. you you can't not show them your series. You can't not sit at the desk or and grapple That's with right. it or try and find the note or try and find the phrase or try and find the metaphor. I mean you, you got to sometimes grapple those demons and not I know it's not working. Analogs, and and then no, says get in the chair, sit the, in the sit, chair, and then but get up and chair. go wash dishes. Or I find folding sweaters. I find cleaning is the thing that I do that actually frees the. Same. Freeze the I muse. Love cleaning so if I oh, don't you oh don't yeah. you love to clean? So yeah. I mean, and Glenn goes, oh, you must be working through something because you're folding your sweaters again. And I go, <laughs> you know, or yes, color coding my sweaters, an idea. It will, my question will be answered. And if that doesn't work, I'll go take a shower. But <laughs> it does work. But I've put in the time. That's you right. know, I know what I've asked that's, the universe that's for. That's professional. Think, you put in the time. Yeah. I think there's something. Well, it's like Anne Lamott always says: sit down sit and chair. sit in the chair Get and write, chair. even if it's bad. Yeah. Just write it. You know, and, and people aren't willing to be, I think so many people aren't willing to be bad or to fail. And that's the worst thing you can right. possibly, I mean, to be fearful of failure, I think, is the worst thing you can possibly be. Well, did you know John Stewart, songwriter John Stewart, yes. uh, not John Stewart Daily Show, mm. but John Stewart, yes. he was in the Kingston Trio, and he was a yep. brilliant songwriter. And he was a mentor to me. And oh, really? He, yeah, and he yeah. said... Um, write everything, edit later. Mm. Yeah, and that was really helpful to me because I was so afraid of like writing the wrong thing. It wasn't going to be as good yeah. as Bob Dylan, you know. So I should stop. Write everything, edit. Later. And in the collaborative experience, you know, the the courageous thing about writing with somebody is say something stupid in the right. room. Take the because risk because that stupid thing that you say is going to give me an idea that's to, about something else, and then, and my stupid idea is is going to spark something in you. And it's it's that it's in that courage, you know, being willing to just be absolutely dumb <laughs> is is gonna is gonna be part of the process. I totally you know? agree. Being fearless and yeah. also. And, being, and also being willing to rewrite. I, I think so many people think just because they got it down, H- it Hemingway said, write, write drunk, edit sober. Was that Hemingway or Faulkner? I think Hemingway it, or Faulkner. It was one of them. Drunk, <laughs> I like you know, that a and lot. And I did for, uh, well, I, I did both drunk for 49 years and then I changed. Oh, my yeah. God. That's I have good. to tell you a quick story about your dad, if I may. That, sure. this is the, that, uh, that had a great meaning to me at, long after the fact. Because the first time I met him was we went to do a thing for for Wolf Trap in D.C. And it was the first time that I'd been around people of a certain level. I mean, it, it was Elizabeth Taylor and, and Senator Warner were the hosts and all. Walked into their backyard, and I, I was feeling as lost and in over my head. And it's like I wasn't sure about what was going on. But I looked or acted nothing like that. I looked and acted like Mr. Big Shot, you know, this arrogant little ass who was like, you know, yeah, I'm here and all. But that's how I was feeling. And I saw your dad, 
who looked exactly like I was feeling. Mm. What year was this? This was in the early early eighties. And he, but what was interesting is he was looking like he was instead of covering it up. He had every right to look like I was act like I was acting, instead of acting like I was acting, which he had earned the right to. That's he was being real. Oh. And he said, oh, you know, we said hi, and it was, it was, you know, but I thought about it later, and I thought, you know, that's, that's real. That's, that's when you don't lose touch with who you are, and you don't start performing on a daily basis, because I rolled out of bed performing for a lot of years. And my fear, I treated my fear with that, with the, the shot of the alcohol and the cocaine, but, but also with the attitude and the ego mm. was, was the, you know, and I, and he wasn't doing any of that. Well, I, it's it's funny. He lacked that gene of being false. I, I think that's why so many millions of people project onto him and identify with him because yeah. of that authenticity. That's a, that's a, incidentally offered as a huge compliment. Oh, I get it. To I get it. What, to what you know? Can I become that? Can I? Ha, am I more that today than I was then? For sure. But it just and it's funny because I didn't see that at the time. Mm. You saw but it later. I saw it later. I was he know. always that way when you were growing up? Authentic? Yeah, even at his most, yeah. his worst, you know, there was no, pre no pretense. I don't think he had the ability. Yeah. And, and it was, but I, it was just so, so. That's very moving admiral, story. Moving and admiral yeah. and, and, uh, and it's also, it's, it's got a, a little of my own crap in it that I mean, because I, I see who I was then and I just. Well, what's moving about it too is your willingness and your ability to see that. Most people would have that would have just gone right by. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I mean, yeah. it's just really, it was really pretty. It's very beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. But you guys didn't have the conversation like we're both nervous or anything. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't. No, think. it's just you know, it's oh, I I was not ready to have that conversation. I didn't mm. know I was nervous, and I mean, I, I mean, I look back on it and I see that what I was doing, I was just you know strutting around like I was Mr. Big, you know. And and the fact is, I know that I was, you know, feeling out of place and trying to ignore that feeling and all. And mm -hmm. what I saw with, with him, as I look back, was like, it's exactly the way I felt, mm. but would not show. It was interesting, you know. It takes a while to, uh, yeah. I, I know in my youth, too, I had an attitude. Uh, it was just protective. You yeah, know? Sure. didn't know how to be fearless, didn't know how to trust or let down those walls i went from being different to being special and that's addicting you know it was like well, i was treated like i was special and boy did i love it i just hello america hello <laughs> being different pa to be Polly is here wow well i think i think the kids across the board i mean you see it i mean i don't know if you see it with your own kids but i think that even kids who don't grow up in unbelievably famous parents or grow up and become famous but but i think it's just part of the kid nature i know it all now because deep down they know they don't and i think they're so afraid that they don't in a certain mm. way that 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 patina and that we're all hitting the mics here that comes up and and they and they and because i know that with now with my 15 year old it's so hard for her to admit she doesn't know at this age where now my 25 year old's coming out of it and able to come to me and say oh you're right I don't know and ask for help and mm -hmm. it's that ability to ask and I think there's a certain age where kids just stop asking and yeah. then they shut down and they become they're figuring out how they're going to do it but it, 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 it comes off as being a pain oftentimes you know that pushing away from your parents in teenage years and the, all of that and shutting down 
It just makes me ache. I have a 16-year-old son, and he's, it's so precious to me. I really get it, and, you know, I don't, I don't beat down his door. But it hurts, doesn't it? It's, it's it does so hurt. painful. I knock on the door, but I don't beat it down, you know. I want him to connect with him, but I understand he's got he's finding himself. And right he's got to push you away before Absolutely. he can come back to you. Absolutely. And that's what and that's the hardest thing that they don't understand. They have to push you away in order to come back. Sarah at about age 13 went from running daddy 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 running to me and she turned into a zombie. Mm. She was just all of a sudden her posture just went boom. Everything I did embarrassed her. She walked behind, not beside, but she and her girlfriends. We used to go to a place called the Alice, Alice All Ranch, oh, you know, sure. and, and which is a like a dude ranch. And she very loved fancy she dude loved, ranch. Loved running every place at all. Everything was fabulous. All of a sudden, we showed up like the last time we went there with her girlfriend and the two of them. All they did was sleep. They all, you know, it's like they're like fourteen or whatever, and they walked behind us, like they just don't even want to do. And it's and then about. Four years later, she, boom, she came back. She came back. She came back, and I was like, oh, my God. I know, with my girls, too. My, my girls were more difficult than my son. But they came, They come back. It's like they come out of a tunnel, back into the light. Yeah. Oh, hi. Yeah. I missed you. Yeah. Oh, my God. I but went, you have to let them go. You have to let them go. We once had a contractor who was a terrible contractor, but I remember I was going through a difficult period, and Taylor, I think, was 13. And I remember he said he did a terrible job on the house, but he said... You have to look at your kids at this age. Like what happens is a spaceship comes down while you're sleeping one night. And it takes this child that you have loved and nurtured and coveted for so long. And it removes them from your house and replaces it with this alien being. (laughs) (laughs) And it will leave it there for the next, if you're lucky, three years. If you're not so lucky, seven years. And then the spaceship will return your child that it's nurtured up in this other land and return it back to its bed one day and you'll wake up the next morning and you'll have that person you knew. And I remember going back and thinking about that many, many times. Is Okay, this is the alien one and my mind's coming back soon. Right. And they do. They do. But I look at them like big toddlers. They, you know, just... Kind of <laughs> big toddler. Big toddler. Like, kind of me in my thirties. Yeah, That's kind toddler. of you in your seventies, Paulie. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big toddler anymore. They are, I, I, but because they do this thing where they'll ignore you, or yeah. and like I don't look at my phone all day. And I think when you talk about like Sarah being in her room or not talking mm-hmm. or slamming the door, now they can also be in the room with you, but they're just staring at their device, yeah. so they can ignore you in an entirely different way. Oh, that's a battle I'm in every day. You know, like, or you take them to down. dinner. Or, you know, you, before, oh, that I can't stand that. When they pull it out at dinner, I, I, that shut, I shut down. They can do a lot, but not that. We touched on something here with Roseanne yes, Cash. Yes. Don't bring out the, if you ever eat with Roseanne Cash, no. do not bring out your phone. <laughs> no, but it, the, the other night, Glenn, who never loses it, was trying to have a conversation with Lucy, and she was just talking to her friends, and they were having like one of those, you're not you're in trouble, but one of those, you know, this is a parental, ch- a you know, daughter moment. Yeah, and she was looking, and he goes, you know. Give grab the phone, the phone because the phone. I cannot talk to you when you stare. What is so important? Yeah, but they now have a totally new way of, of abandoning the room and yeah. leaving. And it's, it's we didn't have that. You know, we could close the door, but if you came out, you had to be there. Right. Or at dinner, you had to be there. Right. You know, yeah. you couldn't you you couldn't talk to your friends on the phone all night. We all had one at phone. dinner time. At di- or no, at, but at all, yeah, right? I mean, at all, right? You right. didn't. Ha- I mean, you probably had many lines in your house, but most people didn't. So. No, we didn't. You when didn't? I was a kid, I think no. there was one line. Yeah. Did you didn't did did Johnny have a place in Jamaica? Yeah, for many, many years. Did you spend time there? A lot of time. 
Wow. Why did I, I just remember? Uh, interesting, because it's back in the day when I was, I remember going, oh, my God. It, but you grew up in L.A., right? Yeah. yeah. Well, north of L.A. in Ventura. <clears throat> but I lived in L.A. for many years after. Yeah. You grew up in Ventura? Mm-hmm. I grew up in Santa Barbara. Did you really? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. I went to Santa Barbara many weekends with my girlfriends. How Ventura has grown? Oh, my God. It used to be a quiet little, little beach town. It's not in, anymore. No. Not anymore. Oh, you were fancy in Santa Barbara. We weren't fancy in Ventura. Did you have a ranch? No. We had a, a, a nice house on the hill overlooking the ocean. And that was one of the best things of my childhood is growing up and looking at the ocean every day. And the ocean is kind of like a religion for me. Yeah. Like, I, I put a lot of stuff into the ocean. Did you go to school in Ventura? I did. St. Bonaventure High School. Yeah, I have to live by the water. That's the one promise that I made to myself and to Mariana. I said, we're living no matter what. Where do you I, live? I live right now. I'm in Naples, California, which is the end of Long Beach. But we uh-huh. actually just bought a little place in Huntington Harbor. And it's just right on a little little lagoon there. Nice. I, I, there's something about being around the water. And we met when I lived in Montecito. I was up in, in Montecito uh-huh. for years as well in Santa Barbara. That's so nice up there. Well, I live by the Hudson River. Oh, that's right. You're by the water. I'm by the water. Yeah. But there's something in New York. I was at a friend's apartment the other night, and they look at the other river, at the East River. But there's something about getting to look at water when you live in this, 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 and growing every day. I mean, every single thing in the city seems to be under yeah. construction. Does does it seem like everything is in, under scaffolding? Everything. It seems like we live in an entirely scaffolded city right now with cranes. And for years, like the scaffolding on my block was there for three years and they just took it down it's like it doesn't look like they did anything different what are they doing i said that to paulie last night what are they doing to every single building in new york it's <laughs> it's crazy but to be able to look at the water we get to we look at the park and there is something that is such a gift about looking at something that's not cement at the end of the day that's here right. it really because it I does agree. get to you i mean it's it, it does it does and you were just in nashville you, you must spend a lot of time in nashville still i do i was in nashville three months in september um, you friends actually, with Buddy Miller? Do you know Buddy? Oh, Archie? gosh, yes. I love Lo- Buddy. love yeah. Buddy. No, I was in Alabama yesterday. was t- visiting Natalie, the, the seamstress who has the company. Um, and I, I went down with five women. And So this is really a big part of your life. This is a big part of my life. Wow. This is... I am with men all the time in my work. The band, the crew... Didn't you, you know. tour with Emmy Lou though? For didn't you guys go no. out together once? No, we did one show together in September uh, at the Country Music Hall of Fame with Lucinda Williams. That's what one I, of the that's greatest what, nights that's of my what life. That's what I was thinking was of. And all. So and crazy. the other thing we have in common is I think you guys were at the Mansion on O Street for. Yeah, we stayed there when we testified. Do you love that? I do. I love it. And Ted, I, I just the yeah, whole Agent thing Ted, is. Yeah, they're like family to yeah. us. Yeah, you should tell Tracy what. That's what the mansion on O Street is like. Oh, oh I've been there. Know, oh, been there. And I'm, friend, and I'm oh. friends with Asian Ted. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love Asian Ted. Crazy, crazy with place. With the hidden doors. And the hidden the, doors and, and the yeah. rock and Say roll. Say hi to Asian Ted if they're listening. 206,000 guitars stuffed into nine four. Whatever. It's just not crazy. So go back to what you were saying, though, about your life. Because it's, inter- it's an interesting thought. Your, your life's so much about men in terms yeah. of... You, so this... This is a refuge because these five women are... Yeah, it's a great balance for me, and it's nothing to do with my work, and yet it feeds my work deeply. And in fact, 
you know, the album this year is called The River and the Thread, and there's a song, the, the one song won two, two of the Grammys, and there's this line in it about learning to love the thread. And Natalie is the one who said that to me when she was teaching me to sew. Learn to love the thread. She said, you have to love the thread. And I just, I got chills and teared up when she said it. She wasn't speaking in metaphors. She was saying, you really have to love the thread. Yeah. But I heard it so big. So big, backwards yeah. and forwards. Even the threads you break, you have to love. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. You know, I learned that. Wow. I don't write about such things because they don't let me have sharp objects. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you sew on your own or do you only sew with the girls? Well, only with the girls. Usually once in a while I'll pull it out on an airplane. But there's just something about the community of it that I, I really love. And I suppose that is much like the quilting. I mean, these quilters, these communities Absolutely. of people, you know, becomes. And I guess the the further we go digital, and the further we get removed, and the more friendship becomes email and messaging, and you know, this kind of thing. That 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 connection, people will seek it out because it's vital. I think so, my girlfriend Kay, who's one of the in the our group of of sewers, seamstresses, she's a knitting rock star, Kay Gardner. She wrote this book called Mason Dixon Knitting with her partner. And when I first got to know her, I started to realize, like, she goes around the country and she's got thousands of women who come to her, you know, there's like a guru. And I, st I didn't really realize it. And I said, are you like the Bruce Springsteen of knitting? And she said, no. But I am like Sting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tracy likes Sting. Yeah, I do like Sting. Oh, nice. Yeah. I do too. I introduced Tracy to Sting. He's pretty sexy. He really is sexy, isn't he? Oh, it's okay. just that there's. I'm well, sorry, Paulie. It's just there's just something about that Sting. Yeah. He really, you know, some guys just yeah. get this. Well, the thing. great, you know, I say this again and again, but the great thing about what we do for a living is uh, I, I think all three of us is, is that, you know, and, and it's it's one of my bumper sticker lines that you don't have to give up your fan card to do what we do for a living. So no. the amazing thing is to walk into a room and see somebody like Sting, you know, or Leonard Cohen, or, you know, or, or, uh, 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 or Bonnie Raitt, or just, and, and I find myself in the midst of a conversation like this going, I'm sitting with Roseanne, you know. So it's a really nice And I feeling. do the same thing. Yeah. So we had a good time in God, D.C. couldn't and have I imagined think, this. I think, we, I think we helped make a difference by being there. I hope so. Yeah. I, I, I felt that it was an empowering day. And yeah. And you're right. They do listen. They, they understand. Did. And there was a time years and years ago when I first started going to D.C. For, for ASCAP, actually before I was on the board, and there was a lot of this, you know, my man here will tell me about what you're doing later. In the meantime, tell me about that Burt Reynolds movie, whatever. And they hadn't really, there wasn't a lot of awareness of the issues. You walk into a congressman or a senator's office these days, and they, they understand so much more about what we're dealing with, you know, with the consent decree, with IP issues, with digital and... and and what, I, I you know, agree. the fact is that, that streaming is for the user, it's a dream. It should not be a nightmare for you and I. Well, the free tier should disappear on streaming. Yep. That's, I mean, I think that's number one. And then yeah. they should pay us fairly. Yeah. Or, or you know, that, but that old radio model works great. That old radio model is wonderful. Sell advertising, give us a piece of that action. That's right. It just So we can keep doing what we're doing, write some more songs. You know, I was pleasantly surprised by how engaged that panel was. <clears throat> I thought, we're going to go to Congress. They're, you know, they're bored. They've got other things in their mind. They're not going to listen. They listened. They were engaged. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's judiciary, and that's the headwaters of, of as far as, as us finding a place where we can be heard and and people can make a difference, it's it's, it's in the judiciary. So. And it was a bipartisan panel. Absolutely. You m- yeah. mentioned that. You know, I've written songs with, with uh, Senator Orr, uh-huh. from, you know, from... Uh, 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 or excuse me, Senator Hatch, Orrin Hatch from from Utah. We've written like three songs together. And really? Yeah, Orrin Hatch is is a longtime senator from Utah, an oh, ASCAP is, member, and a I, really good songwriter. I didn't know he was a songwriter. He's a songwriter as well. I didn't yeah. either. You know, but guess what? If he was a terrible songwriter, you know, I would have written. You know, but he's he's been a champion of of our of our issues. Mm-hmm. He did amazing work with Ted Kennedy, uh, and you know they would they were great friends, and they would eat each other alive on the floor sometimes in the Senate. But then they come go go over to each other afterwards and go, you know, what did you think? He said, Oh, you were fantastic. You, you you got me on that one point, whatever. But they did they did meaningful legislation for around AIDS, around children, around you know, just really, really important work together. And there's less and less than that as far as as both sides being able to work together and our issues would seem to be the one area where they could really lean, you know, lean lean kind of link arms and, and get something done. Isn't that interesting? There's true collaboration there. Yeah. I mean, it was a true bipartisan panel, and yeah. you don't see that much. I have great respect and uh, and friends there. I mean, from, and, and, you know, and I'm a Democrat, but I've, you know, I've got pals like Louis Gomer who uh, wants to, you know, drop the big one on South America for stealing our name. It's just, you know, Louis as right-wing as you're going to get. <laughs> but he understands that, that our system's broken, and he's helping us. Right. You know, so... Yeah, I, same as me. I'm a, I'm a Democrat, and I made friends, Republican friends, through all of yeah, this. Yeah. So, what would you both of you say to the consumer until this all gets worked out, which is clearly not going to get worked out overnight? Buy from the music. sounds of it, what would you say? Because I'm with my kids. I'm emphatic. I mean, I, I I bought them each a Spotify account. I said you can't listen to music for free. You can't because there's so many, and I know even with our book. With any book, and you've written books, once you're a, an ebook, once your book is a PDF, I get Google alerts, don't you, all the time that these things are free and pirated. And the same with songs. You can go and listen to songs for free in other places other than the Pandora or Spotify and any of those streaming services. So you would say just pay the nine ninety nine a month, just pay something. Pay, pay something. You know, this idea that music can be free. I'm on a board of this group called Content Creators Coalition, and it's an artist advocacy group, and we're addressing a lot of these issues. And John McRae from the band Cake is on the board, and he said something great. He said, okay, music should be free. Okay, well then, but musicians should not be the only ones who aren't being paid. You know, these tech companies shouldn't be getting rich on our backs. And that's the truth. And search engines will say, if you Google one of Paul's songs, they'll send you to a pirate site on the first page. Yep. It's not right. It's the same with books. It's the same with, and movies. You know, you can get, you can get so much for free. And I think, I don't know if kids understand it or not. I don't know that they understand the whole concept of royalties and what that means by getting this for free. Because for a lot of people, certainly... I would probably think 12-year-old down now who are getting music or any kind of content, the only world they've known is where free exists. Yeah. You know, we come That's from right. a world where you had to go to the store and actually buy it. Right. You know, buy it there with, here, yeah. cash money. Now it's an object. Right. It ceased to be an object, and I don't think they understand unless something's an object, you don't have to exchange money for it. 
And when, that's a, that's how do you teach? How do you teach that coming up generation where it's all? Well, I think first those the big tech companies have to get yeah. honest and show some integrity and pay the musicians. I mean, these companies that say they're music companies are not music companies; they're tech companies. Yeah. And they're getting they're using music as a loss. They have leader. one product, and it's music. That's right. They have one product, and the the change really you know my my message to the music user is we're not we're not looking to make your life more difficult, no, or more expensive, the or change, blaming them even, or exactly, or right. blaming them, and 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 we want to keep the music playing, and we want and I want the people you know that are enjoying the music to know that. The change has to occur, you know, in the, it's like, you know, three times three equals nine. The change is in the equal. It's, it's the change has to occur with the servers. The people like Pandora, you know, who are, are we are their only product, that this is so incredibly out of balance. We're operating with this organization and they're, and they're using the, the rules that we operate under are so outdated. They're they're using them as a, as a loophole to not pay us what we should be paid. So for the music user, for the kid who's loving the music, keep listening to the music. Don't you know? Don't download illegally. You know. Don't, but they're not downloading anymore. They're streaming everything and all. Yeah. And they're great. What we want is 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 the servers to step up to the plate and treat us properly. And you know, the this is the classic. Paul and I working to plant a garden that we won't enjoy because we're talking about the next generation yep. of musicians. This is important for them. And the middle class of musicians, you know, Beyonce and Kanye are going to be fine. We don't need to worry about them. Uh, but it's the middle class of musicians who, yeah. who show up for work and aren't getting paid fairly. And also this idea that, well, we're we're promoting you. Come play this gig for free. We'll play this record for free because it's promotion. When does... The pay ever happened? It, you know, there's a great, there's it's really simple. There's a great bumper sticker in this. Exposure can kill you. <laughs> or well, if I had a dime for every time I heard the exposure argument, I yeah, wouldn't. exposure can kill you. Exposure can kill you. Expose my music to everybody, you know, and say, well, you know what, you're gonna, your music, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna really, you're gonna sell a lot of T-shirts. Nobody wants to buy a T-shirt with my picture on it. I don't say, you know, I don't tour that much. I do the occasional gig out there, a few gigs and all, but I'm not really a performing artist that much. I'm a songwriter, and most songwriters are just songwriters and not artists. So that whole 360 deal doesn't work for us. We have to make a living with the songs we provide, and and there are guys in Nashville that write. Every day, yeah. Every day, somebody you know, you know that 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 is making a living writing songs. For every song that gets recorded, he'll maybe write a hundred that don't get recorded, or fifty that don't get recorded. And for every twenty that get recorded, he may have one that gets sneaks on the charts. More than likely, for every hundred that he writes that get might get recorded, maybe one will sneak onto the charts in his lifetime. Mm. So those of us who've had a, a few hits are are really blessed. And what you said about performing, you know, that's not a fair argument at all because some people are just songwriters yep. and some people are musicians are older and sick and can't go on the road yeah. or were never performers. Yeah. Percy Sledge died without ever getting a dime from When a Man Loves a Woman. At the end <laughs> of his life, he couldn't tour. Yeah. Like, I know. So, you know, something needs to change, and it's probably Pandora. Yeah, it's, there's a good place to start. <laughs> our first affirmation is something needs to change, and it's probably me, and oh, it's which probably is part me. of our our growth pattern and the like and all. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we love to ask people is when, it, when on the show is, is yeah, like when has no been a gift? Yeah. Is when? when has no been in my life? No has been a gift. I didn't get the career I wanted as an actor. I got so messed up. I started writing songs about it, and I found the life I had today. When in your life has no been a gift? Um, failures have been gifts for me, and I made this record, um, Interiors, and I I was coming off a really big record, King's Record Shop. It had four number one records on it, which is the Singles, which is the first time a woman in country music had ever done that. It's a big record. Had a lot of leverage with the record company. I said, "Can I? I want to produce the next record myself. Small, dark album, acoustic based." And I did it. It was the best work of my life. And they said, "We can't do anything with this." And I ended up asking to be released from the label, transferred to New York. The and my real life began. Yeah. Not my real life. That's not to discount my old work. But this life opened up to me that was exactly where I wanted to be. And the next record wasn't successful either, but it was okay. But you were on your journey. I was on my journey, and I ended up writing a book of short stories because the record wasn't successful. You know, it's like it snowballed yeah. into my fullest life. And the world's a better place. <laughs> and I'm a better place. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Thanks for taking Rose time Cash, out. Rosanne Cash, you're to... a special person. Thank you. You really it's a are. pleasure to be here. We... Go out there, people, and pay for Roseanne Cash's <laughs> music and listen to it. Because yeah. if you haven't listened to it and heard it, it's really, books really children's books beautiful, and... beautiful work. Thank and you. and inspiring stuff. and touching. All right. God bless everybody. Thank Have you for listening. Have a great day, and thank you for listening. You give a little love, and it all comes back to you. You know you're gonna be remembered for the things that you say and do. You give